Can you hear this now, Marion? Yes, now I can hear you. Okay. Okay. Right, I had to switch some microphone settings. But now we're okay. Right. Now we're okay. Yeah? Now we're okay. Woohoo! Woohoo! So are you ready to begin? I'm ready. Awesome. Hi, I'm Alan Hill, the nostalgic vagabond. I lived out of a backpack for many years during my 20s and some 30s. I'm less of a nomad these days. In this podcast series, I'm catching up with old friends, wonderful people I've met in the traveller's trek. And what better time is there to catch up, reminisce, and see how everyone is getting on in 2020? I hope you enjoy hearing about our journeys as much as we've enjoyed sharing. When it comes to being a traveller, it's possible to feel like a travel noob or a globetrotting veteran, depending on the company surrounding you. Back in 2009, in my mid-twenties, I still consider myself to be kind of naive, fresh, but everything is relative, isn't it? Throughout my journey, I've met literally so many people, it's stupid to keep count. I've admired many along the way, for varying reasons, and adopted some things that I've been taught, or given tribute to the characters I've encountered. On this episode, I'm calling from the UK to speak with Marion Pudermatt, where he lives now, in Freiburg, Germany. Marion's recently qualified as a doctor. No surprises to me. When we met in San Francisco, he was in his early 20s, but even then I could tell he was going places. I learned a few German expressions from him, sometimes by accident, and on my next big adventure in 2010, I bought a pinstripe fedora hat with a birthday voucher in tribute to him. Man. Marion can seriously pull off that fedora. First of all, welcome, Marion, to the podcast. I'm really happy to see you. How are you? I'm fine, thank you. And where are you right now? I'm in Freiburg in Germany, in the warmest city in Germany. Is that a fact? That is a fact, yeah. So what temperature is it today? Today it was uh, actually quite cloudy and rainy. We had uh, 20 degrees, but yesterday it was 32 degrees, so we had quite a big drop in temperature from yesterday to today. But in summer, sometimes it can even get to 38 to 40 degrees here in Freiburg. So Brilliant. For Germany, it's quite hot here. Wonderful part of Germany, isn't it? It is. Yeah. I mean, you have been to the south as well. You know how nice it can be in Germany. I have not been to Freiburg, unfortunately, yet. When I come next time, I'm definitely coming to see you. I have been to other parts in Baden-Württemberg and also in Bavaria. And yeah, you are right. It is a really nice part of Germany. Yes. And the distance is not very far and it's not that different from uh, the other parts of Baden-Württemberg to Freiburg. I wanted to go on a little bit of a trip down memory lane with you today, Marion. Mm -hmm. I don't know if I've ever told you this, but I actually remember the first time I saw you before I even met you. I remember because I was a little bit still suffering a, a small hangover from my four days in Las Vegas. Mm -hmm. People say that Las Vegas is really supposed to be a two-day town, and I was there for four days. Basically, I was sitting in Union Square in the middle of San Francisco trying to figure out what was real and what wasn't real. <laughs> and I remember gazing out into the square and seeing all the different types of people sitting in the sunshine. And then there was this guy with a neat-looking backpack and this wicked cool pinstripe fedora hat, and he was just marching across the concourse there. And I thought, this guy knows where he's going. He's not messing around. And this guy's a pretty good traveler, I can tell. And then the funny thing was, when I got back to my hostel, I saw that you were checking into the same hostel as me. And I thought, oh, I just saw that guy in the square. I got to meet this guy. I don't know if I've ever told you that. Uh, actually, you already have told me 
that uh, I think we we talked about it when we met in uh, Germany seven eight years ago. I don't know how long it is, but I think you told me that, and I was surprised about that to be honest. In what way? In the way that you could remember me at the Union Square and remembered me or recognized me later in the hospital because I mean at the Union Square there are like hundreds of people and that you saw me and remembered me at the hospital was it was for me it was surprising because sometimes you have you meet people on two different places and that happened to me as well but normally you meet the people like you meet five people and remember one of them but at the Union Square you saw hundreds of people and remembered me. So that's a bit, it was a bit, bit surprising for me. Yeah. I mean, I do have quite a very strong visual memory, but I think it's a little bit more than that in the sense that I was traveling myself and perhaps I had like a radar for recognizing other travelers at the same time. Perhaps it's also something to do with kind of feeling the same emotions and feeling the same energies and being on that traveler's path. Maybe that's why I remembered more explicitly. We went on a tour in Yosemite. While we were there, uh, we decided we would go on a road trip down the California Pacific Highway with another guy called Sid. Do you remember that experience? Of course I remember that experience. What can you tell me of your favorite memories of those few days we went down the Pacific Road? Well, the thing is, after every trip I go, I go on, I make a photo album for my parents. And in the album of uh, that trip... I especially remember the pictures who have gotten in, into which have gotten into that album, and one of the pictures is where uh, you sit on a stone, and in the back in the background there's the ocean with a big rock, and you sit on this stone, and the rock on in, in the ocean pretends to be your your cap, and you actually have the cap in your hand, and I made the picture like that it looks like this, so that's one of the funny moments I, I remember. And there's another picture in this album where Sid, you and me are sitting in our white Jeep. And I think, I think it was you driving and I'm sitting on, on the other side and Sid is sitting in the back. When I go to my parents, I often take that album and look at the pictures and then the memories come back from this road trip and uh, still remembers me to those relaxing, funny days we had together. Yeah. I remember picking you up in, um, what was it? San- Santa Cruz. Santa Cruz. And then we went to a few places along the way and we dropped you back off at uh, Santa Barbara and Sid and I carried on to San Diego. Yeah. I remember being quite sad that we were dropping off and you weren't coming all the way to San Diego with us for the 4th of July celebrations. But you'd already had made plans, hadn't you, for something else in Santa Barbara? In Santa Barbara and later, I think on the 4th of July, I was actually, in, I, I, I met a friend later and I had I had some plans which, which couldn't, uh, couldn't make so that I couldn't make it with you to San Diego. So I would have extended this uh, trip as well if I could, but I had some other plans. And uh, like it, like it is with Germans, if they have their plans, they uh, fulfill it normally. <laughs> yeah, that's one thing I really like about you German guys is once something's locked in, that's it. It's locked in and and it's going to be done. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> and in Germany it's like this if you if. You expect something from other people. If, make, if I make a plan with a friend, I expect him to be there at a certain time. So I want to do the same. Yeah. And uh, I had this appointment with, with the other guy. I, I'm, I think we went to Las Vegas as well. And so unfortunately, there was no chance for me to uh, extend our trip. Yeah. You were obligated and you fulfilled your obligation like the true German that you are. <laughs> yeah. I remember you were saying once to us, I think we were going for a... Uh, a coffee break, or even it could have been a pee break somewhere on our road trip with you and me and Sid. 
we were just about to depart, and I remember you saying, "Shall we meet back here at eleven <laughs> seventeen?" And and Sid and I looked at each other, and we thought, "Eleven <laughs> seventeen? Why not just eleven fifteen? No, eleven seventeen." And we thought, "Okay, <laughs> plus or minus thirty seconds, sure." <laughs> I can, but I can share my my thoughts with you. Maybe it was eleven twelve when we when we were t- um, talking to each other, and I thought, "Okay." Going for a coffee or going for a pee takes about five minutes. And I thought, okay, now it's 11.12 and five minutes, 11.17. So let's meet at 11.17. So. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense, Marion. For me, it does. <laughs> yeah. You went off for your 4th of July celebrations in Santa Barbara with your friend that you'd organized. How was that experience for you in 2009? Your first American 4th of July experience? Yeah, it was my first and my only uh, experience. And in Santa Barbara, the celebration was not very big, to be honest, because I, I think it was Michael Jackson who died some days before. Yeah, that's true. He lived somewhere close to Santa Barbara. So it was in the city. It was a mix of uh, the celebrations of the 4th of July and the recent death of Michael Jackson. So it was mm, not really a celebration in Santa Barbara. Quite a somber occasion mixed in with the yeah. Independence Day festivities. Right. Yeah. Must have been quite strange. It was strange. One one really strange thing that happened to me was that there there was a I think it was a concert uh, given for um, Michael Jackson and his um, his death and he was two hundred fifty dollars or something the entrance for a concert um, for a person who died recently that was kind of strange and people were with the tickets were running on the street and trying to sell them to to make money of someone who was dying recently that was a bit strange somehow. Yeah, that's bizarre. I remember when we dropped you off in Santa Barbara, Sid and I spent the next night in Los Angeles. As we were leaving Los Angeles to continue south, we went along the Hollywood Boulevard Mm -hmm. and it was complete chaos and so many crowds of people out, in a sense, mourning Michael Jackson's death and it was like a, it was like a mob all, mm-hmm. over, all over the streets, and Sid and I felt like, oh man, we need to get out of here right now, or we're going to get caught. So we just trundled along in our jeep and eventually got onto the main road and escaped. Yeah. What were your favorite experiences of that California trip you took? Not necessarily on the Pacific journey you made with us, but your trip in general in California in the summer of two thousand and nine. Mm-hmm. Uh, to be honest, the, uh, the road trip with you was one of my favorites, of course. I liked uh, the Yosemite Park, not only because of you, but also because of the beautiful nature. It was unique, I think. And one, one thing was also, which was also very impressive, it was not in California, but in, uh, I think it's Nevada, the Grand Canyon. Yeah. That was a very impressive view. We, I, when I came there and had the view over, over all the canyon. And on that day, I was, we were very early because we wanted to hike down to the river, to the, to the Colorado River, and up in one day, which is not recommended. But as a German, I just had one, one day. Yeah. I had planned it like this, so <laughs> I did it. Um, so I was very early. I think it was 5 a.m. in the morning, and I was the, we were the only two persons in, uh, at the Grand Canyon. And I think it was even more impressive because when I saw pictures of other people who had been there, you always see like hundreds of people on the on the viewing platform, and we were there just by our own. And I think that was that was uh, what it made even more impressive the view of the Grand Canyon. Do you remember how many kilometers you hiked that day? Um, it, the kilometers were not that many. I think it was twenty to twenty-five, 
but it's a big difference in height mm. because you go down all the way down to the river and all the way up again and it's uh, most of the time it's quite steep and it was incredibly hot because in the canyon there's no uh, wind at all the, the air is not circulating at all and i was sweating like hell i had uh, i remember i had eight half liter bottles of water in my bag and there were every two kilometers there was uh, a place to refill them and i needed every refill place with four liters of water because i, I it felt like i'm drinking and immediately it gets out with the sweat yeah yeah it's a desert heat there too so you've got the hot sun coming down with no wind to cool you off right you're just sweating and sweating and sweating <laughs> still it was a good experience Oh, yeah, I have no doubt. It's interesting you say 25 kilometers is not far. I agree in a sense that it is not far if you're a fit and healthy young person. You were about 19 then, is that true? I think I was mm, 20. 20. I was 25 at that time in, in 2009. And uh, one thing I really noticed about you, Marion, is that you had a maturity that to me seemed a lot older than 20 years old. And I'm not sure, I'm still really not sure what the reason for that is. I, I sometimes speculate, obviously you're from a different culture, so you grew up in a different way. And my experience at that point was mostly of an Australian culture. And so all I was comparing a 20-year-old person to was a 20-year-old Australian, and you're a 20-year-old German. But to me, you seemed a lot older, like more like my age in mid-20s. And even uh, Sid, who was older than me, I think 30-something, you were as mature as all of us. Did you consider yourself to be more mature for your age? Or is it just uh, the way German people grow up that they, they have this wisdom and maturity even at such a young age? Well, I did not consider myself as more mature than uh, I was in age. But what you say was what a lot of other people also said. I did on this trip, I did a lot of couch surfing. Mm -hmm. And I remember a guy in uh, LA and another guy in San Francisco, they both told me the same. They, uh, when, when, we, when I spent some days with them, after that, they told me they would never have guessed that I was only 20. They, they also said I, I behaved like I was 25 or 27, something like this. Mm. But I, I was wondering why they told me that and why, why you were telling me that, but I did not really come to a conclusion why it is like this. Maybe it's the German culture, but it's definitely not the traveling experience because uh, it was my first big trip on my own. I made some trips with a, with a table tennis national team before to Florida and Canada, but that was in a group. And I think traveling in groups is completely different from uh, traveling by your own and you get more experience when you travel by your own. So I cannot really explain why it was like this, but it was more people were telling me, not just you. And these people that you went couch surfing with were native Californians. They were Americans, I imagine. They were Americans, yes. Yeah, so I guess a similar culture maybe to Australia in that way. I think there must be something in, in the European and the German culture that obviously you grow up in a different way and you perhaps present yourself differently at, at the ages of, of 18, 19, 20, 21. Maybe it's also kind of an adaption because also those two guys, the one in San Francisco and the one in LA, they were much older than me. I think the one was 40 and the other one 45 or something. Mm. And now back in Germany, when I was 24, I started studying medicine and most of the other students were like 19, 20. Uh, so now I'm 30 and those guys are like 25, I'm 31. Mm. And now they say I... 
they would say I'm much younger than 31. <laughs> so maybe it, it depends on the people I'm interacting with and I Maybe I adapt to them a little bit. You're probably onto something there, Marion, because you've adapted to your surroundings with complete, you know, you're almost like a chameleon. You just blend in. Your age doesn't sort of stand out. You're just one of the rest of the group. It's probably like an adaptation that you've developed, maybe instinctively. Maybe, yeah. That's what I think too. California days, fun days for you and me both. I remember a few years, maybe it was only a couple of years later, I came to Germany and visited you in your home state of Baden-Württemberg. Right. I think it was 2011 or 2012 because I left, uh, it was Tübingen and I left Tübingen 2013. Right. So it must have been 2011 or 2012. Yeah, I think 2011 sounds right to me. But yeah, you showed me around your home area. You took me down to visit the Muschi tree in Konstanz on the lake. Right. (laughs) And uh, your hometown of Tutlingen, is that right? Right, that's right. What I really like about traveling is that you can meet people sometimes anywhere in the world and you make friendships. And then there's always the opportunity to meet these friends back in their hometown and get more of an understanding of where they've come from and and what culture they've been brought up in. Have you managed to have these kinds of experiences too with people you've met traveling and then you've gone to visit them in their hometown and their home cities? Unfortunately, not really. I had one similar experience, but it was on the same trip. I met a guy in um, in Thailand on a boat trip, and we are, we were connecting quite good. And later on the trip, I knew that I was going to Canada. This guy was from Toronto, Canada. On the boat, he told me, "If you if you ever come to Toronto, just tell me. Uh, you can live at my house. I will pick you up at the airport." But that's what. Everyone says, he, you, if you understand, uh, if you um, connect with someone, he says, if you ever come, but normally it happens, it never happens. But this time I remembered uh, two days before I actually arrived in Toronto, I called him and I thought, why not? Maybe he's there, maybe not, but I, I just try. And actually he said, of course, I told you that on the boat and I will pick you up at the airport. You can uh, live at my house. And uh, he, he picked me up, we went, we went home and at home there were like 15 people waiting for me um, they had a, some kind of surprising party for the German <laughs> what, what, what I didn't know he was quite rich this guy he had a, a huge swimming pool in his garden and then we had a garden party uh, he, he even uh, bought German beer for me so that was kind of the uh, same experience but it was on the same trip not years later it was I think it was eight weeks later was this a big almost a global adventure you'd been on there was um, an around-the-world trip in uh, 2013. After I finished my um, economic studies, my economics bachelor, I uh, knew that I would start studying medicine in autumn, and I had, I think it was nine months off. So I worked for two months and took the money to make an around-the-world trip for a, a bit more than half a year. Wow, so you did a, a six-months-plus global adventure. Tell us, uh, uh, tell the listeners a couple of the countries you visited and which ones were your favorites. I started in Dubai, in, in the Emirates. Uh, then I went to Thailand, Cambodia, um, Singapore, Malaysia, to um, New Zealand, then to Sydney, to um, Tahiti, to Mexico, again to the US, to Canada, to Iceland, Cuba, um, and Sweden. I think that's pretty much it. Wow. And on this trip, my favorite was Iceland. 
because of the the impressing nature. Maybe also a little bit because I have I haven't had seen my girlfriend for the last six months, and she came to visit me in Iceland, and we we did the last uh, part of my around the world trip together. But we had an amazing time in Iceland. We we rent a small car, and today Iceland is pretty touristy, I would say. Mm. I mean, not today because of the the actual uh, pandemic. But uh, until last year, it was very touristy, and in 2013, it was still relatively quiet. You could experience the nature um, without having many, many people around you. And the, the nature in Iceland is very impressive. Yeah, I'm still yet to go there, Marion, but it's on my list. I especially want to see the uh, Aurora Borealis. You were there in which season when you were in Iceland? I was there in um, August, September. Okay, so a bit too light to see the aurora, or did you see the aurora? I didn't see the aurora in uh, Iceland, but I was in 2011. I was studying in Sweden, and I made a trip to Lapland, and there I saw the, the aurora two years earlier, and it was amazing. Yeah. It looks like fireworks, like someone is sitting in, on the horizon and making fireworks. It's really unreal. And what kind of colors are there? It was green in my case. Mm. Does it change depending on the seasons? I don't know, actually. Okay. I, I just saw the green ones. I don't know. That was in December, November, December. And that was in, in Lapland? That was in Lapland, yeah, in, in the north of Sweden. Apart from Iceland, do you have any other countries that you really enjoyed on your global odyssey? I have another favorite place, which is the seashells. I worked there for, um, for four weeks. That was in 2018. Was uh, during my uh, medical studies. I worked at an internship at the state hospital on the seashells, and that was a really nice place. Not only the nice beaches. I mean, everyone knows how the beaches look like. If, if you type in uh, seashells on Google, you see the nice beaches and the the color of the ocean. But still, the people in seashells. That was r really nice people. For that, it was one of my favorite countries I've been traveling to. And another country I which is on my top list is Uganda in Africa. It's completely contrary to uh, the seashells because seashells are quite rich and Uganda is a very, very poor country. But still, people were incredibly friendly in Uganda. And I was traveling, and it was in 2010, I was traveling with my brother there, and we met so many nice people in Uganda, incredibly. So um, it's also one of my favorite countries I've been to. When I met you, you were traveling solo and you've said you've traveled with your brother and you've traveled with groups uh, when you were doing your uh, tours with your um, sporting team. Mm -hmm. Do you have a preference for solo travel or travel with a friend or a group or are you quite open to both and enjoy both? I'm open to both, but it always depends what I want to do during my travels. My experience is that when you travel by your own, you learn much more about the culture, about the people because... You meet more different people than when you travel in a group because when you're in a group, the easiest thing is to talk to the people in your group. But it can also be fun traveling in a group. And when I was traveling uh, by my own, it was never like I was alone. I always met people and you form temporary groups during your travels, like with you and Sid. Yeah. We were also traveling in a group for one uh, for one week, I guess it was. Sure. Yeah, but I think it depends what you want to do. When, when you want to have fun with your friends, you travel in a group. And if you want to experience the country, ex uh, learn about the culture, learn about the people, I think it's better to travel by your own. 
Being uh, from Germany, Marion, uh, and being quite strict with your obligations and your timetabling, when you're traveling, do you like to create an itinerary or is there sometimes you have availability to be spontaneous? I create a plan, but it can include some spontaneous days. I, normally I make like plans that I travel from there to there at this time, but what I exactly do on the place I am, that's most of the time spontaneous. So I don't, I don't plan in advance which sites I'm going to visit and what places I'm going in the city, but I plan in advance which cities I go. Right. So it's more like you're planning a route in advance right. and the activities are open for you to be spontaneous. Yes. And that's been working for you well over the years. Most of the time it's been working well. I mean, some, sometimes I thought, okay, it's a bit sad that I have to leave now because I already booked the flight or I booked the bus or I made an appointment with some, someone. But most of the time it worked for me. For me, it's also a good feeling to know where you go next. Mm. Feeling of, I don't know, security for me that, uh, that I know where I go next and how I go there. For me, it was a good way to travel, to be able to be spontaneous when, once you're in the city, but to know how you get there. Continuing on from the idea of being spontaneous, I remember, oh man, maybe it was 2013, uh, in London, I was there working. You contacted me saying, hey, Alan, are you in London? Because I'm coming to London with my friend. I got a crazy mystery flight with, I think, German wings. Right. And you asked, are you in the city? How did this adventure come about? Um, it was 2014, actually. 14. Because it was at the time uh, when the Olympics, Olympic Games took part. 2012. Oh, that was 2012, right. Um, and one of my best friends, he's um, still one of my best friends, he made me a birthday present and it was this surprise flight. You could book at German Wings, you could book a flight and you had to um, say the date and they told you 48 hours before where you, where you will fly. And uh, he made me that present and 48 hours before our departure, um, we got the message that it will be London. And I remembered at that time that you told me months before that you will go to London or years before, I don't know. And uh, so I thought that you have, you have visit me, visited me in Germany, so it's a good uh, time to visit you in London now. And I think we had a good good day in the, in the London pub. Yeah. And I don't know, we watched the tennis final or something, I'm not sure. Oh, we, of course we drank beer. <laughs> My memory is you contacting me 24 hours or less than 48 hours before you were due to arrive. It just so happened that I had some time available to me from my work. And we just thought, hell yes, let's go into the city center and find a nice pub and uh, watch the Olympics. And I do remember watching a tennis match with you and drinking quite a few nice beers in the London pub. It was a good time. <laughs> Yeah. So, Marion, you, you mentioned earlier that you've been to Africa and you made a trip there with your brother. You said you were in Uganda. Did you go to other places during that trip? Mm -hmm. I went to um, Tanzania, to Kenya, to Uganda and to Zanzibar um, on that trip. It was 2010 and we were in Africa for seven weeks. It was a good trip. On, on another trip, I went to uh, Mauritius as well. Mm -hmm. It was in 2000. 15, I guess, and 2018 to the Seychelles. Mm -hmm. So I've been to Africa three times and I want to go there again, definitely. Which countries will you visit next on the continent there? Um, I think it will be Namibia, the next country I'm going to visit because my girlfriend, she has relatives there and we can visit them. 
And I actually wanted to do that this year uh, after I finished my medical doctor's degree, but it, it was not possible this year, so I postponed it to hopefully next year. Congratulations, Marion, that you've qualified now to be a medical doctor. Thank you. When you were studying your degree before this in international economics, you said, yeah. had you thought of becoming a doctor or was this something that came later? Um, I have thought about that for a long time, even before I started studying um, economics. And I'm still wondering why I did not start studying medicine right away. And I think it was a bit um, that other people who studied it and worked as a doctor, they told me, oh, this uh, studies, it's six and a half years, it's very tough. And when you work as a doctor, you work like 60, 70 hours per week. And I think at the age of 19, I thought, that's not my thing. But uh, then I started studying economics. But after two or three semesters, I pretty soon realized that economics is not the thing I wanted to do for the rest of my life. But I thought um, better I do. I finished my bachelor degree. Um, and then I started studying medicine after that. And that's what I did. So I think the plan was there for many years before, but it took a bit of time to, to realize the plan. Can you think of a particular moment where you committed to doing that? Or was it something that just evolved over time that that was the path you were going to take? Mm, I think there was not a, not a specific moment when I realized that on high school, the, the closer your final exam comes, the more you think about what you're doing after that. And I thought about different ways I could go to and medicine was one of them. And from today, I can, uh, I can say it was, was the right one. Yeah. How far along have you started working? When did you graduate? And then how many months have you been working as a doctor? In Germany, you have a theoretical studies of six years. And I finished that one last year in April. And then you work for one year. It's kind of a, an assistant job. You're not really responsible for something, but you're doing the same things as a doctor does. That's what I did for the last year. The real doctor job begins tomorrow, actually. Tomorrow? Tomorrow. Wow. Are you uh, feeling good or are you feeling a bit anxious? Um, a bit of both. Yeah, I guess that's normal. Yeah. And uh, Marion, how has it been being in the hospital system there in Germany through all the COVID-19 issues this year? Um, at the time when the, the COVID thing was, I was in a, um, not in the hospital, but as a, um, how do you call it, a doctor who's working in his... Like, like a, a GP, like a general practitioner? General practitioner, right. I was at a general practitioner for four months between uh, January and May. And there it was, it was a bit of kind of strange because in, in, the, in the news, you always saw the, the people panicking and everyone was saying... Um, our hospitals are getting too full and at the general practitioner no patients were coming because everyone was afraid that in in the when they come they can um, also get COVID-19 and that time was a bit strange because we weren't seeing any patients but we were making a lot of phone calls there were hundreds of people calling every day what they should do they have a cuff what they should do and it was completely different uh, working as the, the months before. But I know from uh, friends who worked in the hospital that even there in Germany, there was not much to do. Okay. Compared to, to France, to Italy, to Spain, um, in Germany, we were, I think we, we were just lucky. 
it was not uh, there were not so many patients as in the countries more t- south or as are now in, in in the states yeah i was following the statistics and it seemed that germany had a lot less cases and a lot less deaths than other countries surrounding them in the european continent yeah so you reckon uh, germany was just lucky to be honest i'm i'm not sure why it was like this because for me it seems like no matter what countries do in some countries it's worse in some countries it's better because the Italy and France, they had this lockdowns as well. It developed very badly. Mm. Germany, we had not this strict lockdown as in Italy or Spain. And we were in Germany, it was not a big thing. Yeah. I think finally we were just lucky. And, but I'm not sure. I mean, the next uh, autumn, the next winter is coming. Nobody can know uh, how this will continue. I think we will not have a, a vaccine in the, in the close future. And I think it can come back. That's one of the scary thoughts, isn't it? As winter approaches at the end of this year, we'll have to be very careful with with how we're looking after ourselves, all of us. Yeah. I was wondering, Marion, if you've ever considered, I don't know if it's the same in in German, but there's a Médecins Sans Frontières, which is the Doctors Without Borders program. You can go to places in Africa, for example, or some places in Asia or, or South America and work remotely as a doctor in places that need a lot more relief there's such a thing it's called in german it's called Ärzte ohne Grenzen. it's the same thing doctors without borders and um, i would definitely go for a certain time to such a project even uh, i think it's um, it's more sustainable to help um, people in poor countries in another way to um, to help them in uh, in terms of education yes it's a good thing to help them with uh, with medical Uh, care and stuff but i think if they the best for them is if they get a better education that they can help themselves in the long term so that's what i plan for the future to support any projects with uh, education as well yeah have you thought in more detail about the kind of operations you might want to be involved in and perhaps in which countries they they have these operations i know from from a project from uganda it's a German football player who's having a project there and he's building schools and also building kinds of universities, small universities. And I like this football player. He's a very nice guy, very uh, honest guy. I think in future I will, I will try to support this project in, in some way. He was playing at my favorite team as well. Now he's not playing at this team anymore, but I still like him. What's your favorite team? My favorite team is uh, Borussia Dortmund. Okay. And what's your opinion of uh, Jurgen Klopp? I love him. <laughs> he was the best coach we ever had. Uh, I really love him. Uh, I was really crying some tears when uh, on the day he said he will um, he will leave Borussia Dortmund. But still, I, I also like uh, Liverpool. Yes. If he leaves Borussia, I, I always thought if he leaves Borussia Dortmund, he should go to Liverpool. And that's what he did. So um, as long as he doesn't go to to another German uh, team, it's okay for me. You can forgive him. Yeah. <laughs> Well, you should come visit me in, in Liverpool, Marion, because that's where I'm based now. So, uh, yeah, Jürgen uh, and his team, uh, this is my city. I know, yeah. That's also my plan because uh, I always wanted to go for a football uh, match to the uh, Enfield Road. Mm-hmm. For the moment, it's not possible, but when uh, it's, it's allowed again, I will uh, visit you for sure. Yeah, I look forward to that day. should be nice. And uh, I've actually never been inside the stadium. I've been around it. But I still am yet to see a game. But it's very doable to get inside the stadium there, unlike some London-based teams where it's quite tricky to get tickets. Mm-hmm. So I'm sure you'll manage 
you're very organized and perhaps you could just call up Jürgen and say I love you forever can you give me some tickets <laughs> it would, would be worth a try yeah <laughs> I actually know somebody who worked uh, with him uh, he had uh, Jürgen Top had a, a project in Germany where he supported uh, it was an, an app for soccer coaches for football coaches and um, where they can plan their their um uh, the training and the CEO of this app, uh, I know him quite good. So maybe I can get a connection to him when uh, before I come to Liverpool. Yeah. Maybe we can get some VIP tickets. Yes, you got to use that network, mate. I'll jump on that one as well. <laughs> Obviously, Marion, with the problems with COVID-19 and you starting this brand new career and this new stage of your life, you're going to be very, very busy. Have you, however, got any dream destinations or any trips that you've got in the back of your mind or where you want to go next? Mm -hmm. As I told you, Namibia is one of the countries I wanted to I want to visit in future. But I also want to go to the west coast of Canada, to uh, Vancouver, and to um, one day I want to go to Patagonia as well. Because um, of all the continents, uh, South America is the, the continent where I've not been that much. And I just want, went to Colombia and Peru. So the southern part of South America is missing. Yes. And I want to go to Patagonia one day as well. So you've been to all the continents then? I've been to all of the continents except from Antarctica right there. And that was one of my long-term plans. I want to be in all continents before I finish my studies. And that's why I studied for 11 years. <laughs> Give yourself enough time. Right. But finally, it worked. So the South America was the last one uh, to visit in 2017. Right. Do you have a favorite continent to travel? Mm, I can't say if there's a favorite continent. Not really. I, I think every continent has its um, pros and cons. Definitely. But I would not say that I have a favorite continent to travel to. Do you think you will get to Antarctica one day? Is that part of your dreams or is that something that you don't really have a consideration for? I have considered it because there was the question everyone was asking when I told them I would go to every continent, also Antarctica. And I said, no, not Antarctica, of course. But uh, I'm not really sure if I will go there. I'm, mm. And I'm not sure if I would enjoy it. It would just be a thing to be able to say I have been to the Antarctica and that's not my style of traveling. Yeah, it would only be for the ability to say, I have been to every continent, including Antarctica. It would be too expensive just for that moment in, uh, when I say that. <laughs> it wouldn't be worth it. <laughs> I, I don't think so. Being a German and liking beer, obviously you have your own biases and I respect and appreciate that. Where have you tasted the best or most interesting beers on your travels? On my travels? In, uh, it was actually in Thailand. The Chang beer was my favorite foreign beer okay and i also tried to get to chung beer in uh, germany and i got chung beer in germany but then I, I read about it i tasted it and it tasted completely different and i read about it and it's produced somewhere else and then the, the chung beer which is sold in thailand so i think one day if i want to get the best beer in the world again i have to travel to thailand again yeah so you can't get this beer in kaufland no you can't get it you can get it but it's a Produced differently, oh, but not in Kaufland. No, you can't. <laughs> I mean, you, you know it. You can get about 100 to 150 types of beer, uh, reaching from 15 cents per bottle to one euro per bottle. But uh, Chang beer, 
You can't buy there. Not included in the extensive list. <laughs> Marion introduced me to Kaufland in Baden-Württemberg in 2011. Still my favourite all-time supermarket anywhere in the world. And Mr. Kaufland, if you're listening to this podcast, wir brauchen Kaufland in England. Are you ready for the Fast Five, Marion? Yes, I am. Fast Five. Five quick-fire questions require five quick-fire answers. My guests must answer five random questions about travelling without thinking too much. Okay, question one. Shower shoes or no shoes? No shoes. Question two. Mountains or beaches? Mountains. Question three. Leather or rubber? Rubber. Question four. Heterogeneous or homogeneous? Heterogeneous. Question five. Public or private? Private. There you go. You've completed the fast five. Fast five. Five. The, the one with the, with the rubber and the leather was a bit tricky. That was the only question I was not sure what I should answer, but the other ones were quite, uh, Straightforward. quite clear. Do you know where the leather or rubber one comes from? No. It comes from a movie called Into the Wild. Have you seen that? No, I haven't seen that movie. That movie is about a guy who travels to Alaska. Mm -hmm. And there's a scene in that movie where he goes hitchhiking and he gets into this big van with a, an older couple. And what they describe themselves as is you can either be a leather tramp or a rubber tramp. And a leather tramp is somebody who's on foot and a rubber tramp is somebody who has a car and drives around. Okay. You chose rubber, right? So you like to have a car because you're German. <laughs> Now, knowing this story, I would have chosen rubber anyway, yeah. Oh, well, there you go. It's just meant to be. <laughs> One final question. Mm -hmm. And I'm asking this to all the people I'm having on the podcast, all the guests I'm having on the podcast. I was wondering if you could give a piece of advice to people who are listening to the podcast, whether that is something that you've been told yourself from uh, another traveler on your experiences or something you've learned from your own mistakes. Is there something that you can share? I could give the advice that if you travel to a country, you should not just do the, the main tourist things, but try to, uh, to learn about the culture and to learn about the people and go in contact with the people who live there. Because I think people can tell you more and more true stories about the country than any tourist guide. So that's what I would advise to people. Really nice. That's all the questions I have. Unless there's some uh, burning desires you have to share something else. So far, there's, there's nothing burning except from uh, that I will come to Liverpool and we're going to the stadium and uh, say hello to your club. I can show you where all the best beers are in Liverpool as well. Perfect. Thanks for listening to The Nostalgic Vagabond. My guest has been Marion Pudamat. There are more episodes in this podcast series where you can hear different stories from other fellow travellers. Check them out wherever you get your podcasts. You can also follow me at The Nostalgic V. Thanks to Tom Forfer for creating the soundtrack to the series. Don't forget, your journey is special. Own it. I've been Alan Hill. Until next time. I remember that time we got a whole trolley full of beers from Kaufland in Tuttlingen. That was a nice picture having this uh, 25 types of beer um, going to the, to the cashier. Yeah. It was funny. And we drank them all too, didn't we? We did. <laughs> we did.